morning, you guys. Grateful to be here with y'all this morning. So we've been following the Israelites' journey out of Egypt, heading to the Promised Land, the Exodus. So last week we heard from Pastor Jessica about Moses and his frustration with the Israelites over their unwillingness to follow the instructions he had given them, which were from God through Moses. We heard about what it cost the Israelites when they stepped outside of the will of God and how this impacted their journey through the wilderness. If you weren't here, you need a reminder, they got crushed by their enemies because they attempted to go where God had no longer called them for that time. So now we've come to this part of the story. The Israelites have arrived in the desert of Zin in Kadesh, and this presents them with a whole new opportunity to trust in Moses' leadership and for Moses to trust in God's leading. So if you'll read with me Numbers 20, verse 1. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. So Miriam was Moses' sister, and at this point, she'd been a really important part in Moses' life as a whole, but especially throughout this Exodus journey. And I think the fact that the passage begins with her death is pretty significant. It marks the rest of the passage with the knowledge that no one is too important, not even someone with the significance and stature that she carried, to be on the receiving end of God's discipline. So earlier in the story, God made a promise that the first generation of Israelites to leave captivity wouldn't enter the promised land. And Miriam's death was a part of God keeping this promise. So before we jump into the rest of the message, I want to make a point to say God is a God of justice and of mercy. It's not either or. So the beginning of verse 20 begins and says, Now there was no water for the community. So this was a real issue. They needed water. You need water to live. But this passage continues, if you'll read the rest with me. For the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring us into wilderness that we and our livestock should die here. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. So it's understandable why the people would have been anxious or angry or concerned. This wasn't the first time this had happened. Exodus 17 Verses 1 through 7 says, But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I supposed to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. 
I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Can I just say, before we continue, trials tend to repeat themselves until we learn the lesson. (laughs) Trials tend to repeat themselves until we learn the lesson. So I want you to picture it. You've been wandering through the desert. There's little to no water, likely little to no food. You're probably constantly hot and sweating during the day or really cold at night, and maybe you don't even know why you're on this journey in the first place. Think about how you are when you're hungry or tired or too hot or too cold. This is where they're at. And I know we've all been there at some point. Maybe you deal with these people, whether at work, you go to the grocery store, You name it, it's probably happening at some point. So we're not so much focused on the Israelites' attitude here, more than we have something to learn from Moses' attitude shift in response to the Israelites' grumbling. So the passage continues in verses 6 through 10, if you'll read that with me. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community, so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded them. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? So Moses started off doing exactly what God had told him to do. He sought the Lord, he took the staff, he gathered the assembly, but what he does next changes everything and costs Moses his blessing. So Moses obeyed until he got frustrated and angry. Verse 10 continues. Do we have that one? Okay. Oh, we already read part of that. Well, the rest of the verse says, Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. So the we here in the must we bring you water out of this rock is referring to Moses and Aaron, who was also with him at the time. So this shifts the Israelites' focus in this moment from what God could do to what Moses is going to do. He started off by doing exactly what God had told him to do. But when things got even more difficult, when the final straw moment came, out of anger and frustration, Moses strikes the rock twice instead of speaking to it. And it costs him the opportunity to lead the Israelites into the promised land. So this leads me to my first point that partial obedience is still disobedience. Read with me in verse 12. 
But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So there's a number of reasons I speculate as to why Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to it like God told him to. With the death of his sister Miriam just recently, the mounting frustration from the wandering of the Israelites, the physical condition he's been enduring, it kind of makes sense. So I want to look at something with you. Some of you know that I also have studied psychology, so we talk about our feelings a lot. (laughs) And so if we could pull up the feelings wheel. So on one side, we have some things that we might feel when our needs are met, things like joy and trust and love and peace. And on the other side are some feelings we might feel when our needs are not being met. Sadness, fear, disgust, anger has its whole category to itself. And on this side of emotions that we feel when our needs are not met is where we're really susceptible to hasty decision-making. So you can imagine where Moses might be coming from. Still, our disobedience as leaders carries weight with it. We don't get to sidestep the consequences of running from what God has called us to. We don't get to sidestep only doing half or a little bit of what God has called us to. Now, I'm not saying God is generally punishing or that he causes the hardships in our life, but I am saying that there are real consequences that come from stepping outside or around of God's will. So because you always have to live a message before you preach it. (laughs) So I'm going to share a little insight into a recent story of my life that happened when I attempted to settle on partial obedience. So a little over two years ago, I was in the middle of college, having a great time. And in my mind, I had arrived at the sweetest escape from a place that I saw as having brought me nothing good in the past and holding nothing good for me in the future. So upon leaving for college and realizing how great life really could be, I found comfort and peace that I clung hard to in the idea of never really returning to where I had come from. And then that spring break came, and I boarded a plane to Texas, where I later met Pastor Jen and some of the other ladies at Bridge. And if I had known at that point the ride that I was in for in the future, I probably would have gotten right back on that plane. Love you guys. <laughs> so some of you know I interned here last summer. Total perspective shaping experience, by the way. But shortly after I left to finish my last year of school, It was around the middle of October last year that I finally acknowledged God's voice telling me that I would indeed be returning. And not only would I be returning, but I would take on a job where every day is unpredictable, where a crisis could arise at any moment. I would be required to hold space for trauma, but challenge when necessary. 
I would be facing all the reasons that I never wanted to return in the first place, and it would require a depth of vulnerability and trust that I had never gone to before. I would need to remain faithful to my original call to ministry and store the gifts he's instilled in me and learn to lean in when things got hard and invest in a master's program just to put icing on the cake. So he didn't tell me that up front. He doesn't frequently tell us up front what will be required of us when he asks us to step to a new level, or else we'd probably never go. Maybe that's just me, but... (laughs) So a few weeks ago, like Moses, under the frustration and the overwhelm of all the spinning plates that I just described, I took a hard left, tried to run from it all. In my mind, as soon as I found a way, I was ready to pack it up and go back to South Carolina. Now, clearly I didn't, or I wouldn't be here, but shameless plug to the people in the room who reminded me that God wouldn't have brought me back here to do any of that if he had planned on abandoning me to do it all on my own. God never abandons us, nor does he ask us ever to do anything out of our own strength. So I tell you all of that so you don't have to learn the lesson the hard way like I did. Partial obedience is still disobedience. And there are real consequences when we don't follow God's instructions. I realized very stubbornly but quickly that the harder I tried to run against God's will for my life, that it would only get harder from here. Because God isn't going to bless us where he did not give us the authority or commission us to go. Now, I'm sure Moses didn't think this single act out of frustration and anger would cost him as greatly as it did. I'm sure he didn't think God would take away his opportunity to lead the Israelites into the promised land for this decision. I personally still don't fully understand why at 22 God has me doing any of the things that I'm doing, but I do know that even the things that might seem small to us have so much more significance in his much, much greater plan. So in Exodus 17... When Moses struck the rock and the water came out, that was what God had instructed him to do for that time. But this time, it was different. Moses, caught up in his anger, strikes the rock when God told him to speak to the rock for the water to come out. You know, anger blinds us. It's why Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And in the midst of Moses' anger at the Israelites, he lost sight of God's instructions. Now maybe he didn't think it mattered, the method, as long as the outcome was the same, which it was. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. In the midst of my own trying to redefine what God has or really is, asking me to step into out of frustration and confusion. At some point in all that mess, I said to someone, you know, I feel like I know the end point of this season, so why does it really matter what I do in the meantime? I'll tell you why it matters. Because when we come to the other side or get past the obstacle or climb the mountain, God needs to get the glory not us. Because we need to know, and those looking to us as leaders need to know, that it's not, look what I can do. 
But look what God can do. So this leads me to my next point. The miraculous can't be manufactured by man. Miraculous can't be manufactured by man. I'm not sure if you caught it earlier, but even though Moses' method was disobedient, his actions still yielded the desired result. Water still came from the rock to provide the people with what they needed. But even though the outcome was the same, it still mattered to God how Moses did it. God instructs Moses very specifically in verse 8, Take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. And Moses strikes the rock twice instead of speaking to it as God told him to. And then God explains the consequence in verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Moses would not be leading the Israelites into the promised land. I want you to imagine this, really grasp the weight of this. You've been guiding these people for a really long time. God told you where to go, what will be there, has given you specific instructions of how he's going to do this, and through so much of the Israelites' confusion and unbelief, they are so close to reaching their destination. And then it's all done. And it's not in our own strength or time or talent that God chooses to use us, whether for something small or for something big. And the water coming from the rock may have been considered miraculous to the Israelites, but be assured it wasn't Moses' personal strength or will that this great outcome happened. I had a friend in college who embodied this halfway through our four years there. All of the ministry students used to sit around in the evenings and talk about God dreams that we had, the things that we felt like God was leading us to do or hopes we had for the future of our campus's spiritual development. And one of these times, my friend started speculating, and he says, what if we got a team together and just started a completely student-led ministry? It would be a great opportunity to gather, to build close community. We could have a worship team made up of students. The message each week would be a great opportunity for ministry students or other student leaders on campus to practice their preaching skills. And of course, we all were like, yeah, that would be the coolest thing ever. And then the butts started to get in the way. But the department chair would never approve that. The university chaplain would never approve that, certainly. But in the end, it mattered more that God approved it, and so it happened. Can I side note and say, if God calls you to something, he will move all the obstacles out of the way. They may not be easy, but the path will be made straight. So the following fall semester, our student ministry called REACH was launched. There were about 20 people at the first meeting two years ago, including our small leadership team. But just last week, wouldn't you know, I got wonderful news that they're averaging about 150 people every week. Over 30 ministry students have had the opportunity to practice their preaching skills 
15 who have made the commitment to faithfully serve on the worship team, and a growing willingness to invest in the formation of a prayer team. All from one idea. So over the last two years, we've seen the spiritual thermostat rise as people have started to notice the hungering after God of those serving and attending that grew out of this. So God gave my friend a vision. Despite the obstacles and human error along the way, which there has been, God has blessed that ministry, and so many have been blessed through it. I think something shifts when we're willing to devote our whole self and give our best yes to the plan God has laid before us. People notice when we're faithful to run the race God sets before us. But good leaders ensure this noticing is not of God or is of God, not themselves. This leads me to my next point. Know and trust God so that others may know and trust God. God needed Moses to trust who he was so that the Israelites would trust and know who God was. This was why his correction was less geared toward Moses' wrong action and more toward his attitude. As leaders, we have the responsibility to represent God well to the people around us. I'll read verse 12 again. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the promised land. So I would dare to say here that the issue was less about what Moses did and more about the reason that in his anger he made a hasty decision. And in God's correction of Moses, God points out a lack of trust in Moses that God really was going to do what he said he was going to do. You know, as leaders, we sow into our people whatever we ourselves are filled with. So if we're insecure, we'll sow that into our people. And if we're anxious and we're doubtful, we'll sow that into our people. But if we're filled with faith and with trust in God and with hope, we sow that into our people. Despite Moses stepping outside of God's instructions when he struck the rock, God's holy character was still revealed to the Israelites. Now, whether it was because of the water coming out of the rock or God's correction of Moses, or maybe even both, God was still glorified. I want you to read verse 13 with me. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. God's correction is just, but it's also kind. These two things don't contradict each other. And if we're to model after God and our leadership, we have to be willingly, willing to lovingly correct and to guide our people back on course. But being willing to accept God's correction in our own lives is even more important than this. And while we're not powerful enough to mess up God's plan, God's people still cross the Jordan into the promised land, and Israel stands today as a testimony to God's faithfulness. How we as leaders respond throughout the process, whether out of anger or frustration, or with patience and obedience, this could make all the difference in the way someone understands who God is and how we teach others to handle difficulties along the journey 
And ultimately, whether we will walk in the plan that he has for us, or like Moses, we find ourselves benched in the final plays of the game. So the bottom line is this. We will all experience our own wilderness season, but how we respond as leaders is what matters the most. God's plan to lead us into the promised land hasn't changed. He's faithful yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And what's variable is how we will respond in the face of those challenges that arise along the journey. Would you stand and pray with us? Father God, thank you that you are faithful to the things you have called us to do. That no matter how harrowing the journey may be, you have made the path straight. That you equip and that you provide, that you strengthen, that you remove or strike down the obstacles. And that doesn't doesn't mean that we don't invest the blood, sweat, and tears along the way. It just means that the outcome is assured because you are faithful and true to your word. And so, God, today, where we are facing the challenges, where we are facing the obstacles, where we are facing a new call, a new commission, a new assignment, may this word strengthen us. May it remind us where to look when, when the frustrations mount. The, the issue was Moses turned his eyes off of you and towards his frustration and anger at the people for being disobedient. And in that became disobedient himself. And so Holy Spirit, will you be that voice? Maybe not so still and so small in those moments. Maybe be as loud as you need to be to get our attention to say, stop, do not strike the rock. (laughs) Instead, stand on it. (laughs) Trust Jesus. And God, we will give you all the glory. Thank you that your plans continue in our lives and for our lives. And that your consequences, your justice never negate your mercy and your grace. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.